Well, good evening and welcome to session two of How to Train Your Children. We are glad that you're back with us. I know there are still people coming in, so just come on in, make yourselves comfortable, uh, warm up your writing hands. As you see, we got a lot of fill in the blanks, got a lot of really specific things for you. But before we get started, let me pray for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we dedicate this time to you and pray that all that we say and do might reflect your word and your truth. We ask your presence. We ask your guidance as we begin to train our children to love you, to serve and follow Jesus Christ, that we might be united forever with our children because we love them that much. We thank you that you love our children, as hard as this is to understand, more than we do, that you see farther than we do. And so we also commit them to your care, and we know that your hands are completely faithful and trustworthy. We thank you for that. Pray you bless our time in Christ's name. I think you know by now the number to text your questions. We may not get to every question in the session, but we've been keeping them. Some of them will get picked up in the material, and if they don't, we'll, uh, we'll see if we can't find a mechanism to get those questions answered. I think after we finish here, we'll see if there's interest, but it looks like we might want to have kind of an ongoing dialogue, so to speak, online, so we'll see. One thing I wanted to do tonight is... Uh, you're going to hear a lot of things from us that are based on experience. A lot of this is rooted in God's word. We don't want you to think that we know it all or that we have all the answers. I will say this. I have made all the mistakes, so I will take claim to that experience. But seriously, we want to encourage you and let you know that there are no perfect parents, but there's a big difference between an intentional parent and an unintentional parent which is what we talked about in our last session. Let me give you the very brief recap. And in fact, our first session is online if you'd like to see it. But we talked about parenting with purpose, having a goal. We're gonna talk about a lot of techniques in this session. And the techniques you're gonna use as needed with different kids in different situations, but the goals and the purpose will not change. That does not depend on the child. It's what is your goal? Our goal, our number one, goal, number one, number two, and number three, that our children would love God and follow Jesus Christ. Intentionality, training, why train your children, that they actually need to have some intentionality in training your children. Your children are going to get trained. The question is, is it intentional or is it unintentional? We talked about the principle of others first, having an attitude of gratitude, and then your assignment was to agree on your goals as parents, to implement that couple time and implement the interrupt rule. Any feedback that you've heard? Is that going well? I poorly? think so. We think so. Now, so y'all can let us know. Let us know. But basically, this is a process, and we talked about that, a process of training your child. It's not going to happen in a week, but it will happen. One step at a time, you are moving towards something that's worthwhile. So we want to encourage you to stay the course. Well, in this session, we want to talk about obedience. And before we jump into that, though, there were a couple of things we couldn't really find a place for, but there are a couple of resources that we wanted to mention to you. Well, as we talk tonight, um, we're going to talk about loving your children. And unfortunately, we don't have much time to talk about that here. But we think that Gary Chapman's book on the love languages is really good. You, a lot of people have read it in premarital counseling or in the marriage context, and it's great for that but it also is really good for your children. And you will see that as, when you're reading it and thinking about your kids, it'll jump right out at you. So we would recommend that. It's a video series or a book. And then we also um, like the Gary Smalley personality types. 
They are very simple. They're the same types that you've had if you've done some of the others, Myers-Briggs or, or whatever, but they're a little simpler, and um, he does them with the idea of adults and kids, and it's really useful. Your kids, as soon as you talk to them about it, will start to see it in their siblings and in each other, and it's really fun, but it's a great way to start thinking about the differences in your children's personalities because the way that you teach them and train them and discipline them will be different depending on who they are, as you know. Yes, and we're going to talk a lot about techniques for obedience and discipline because these are the challenges that most parents face, and that's what we'll do in the next two sessions quite a bit. But I don't want you to think because we don't talk a lot about loving your children that that's not crucial. It is crucial that you just pour your love into your children. One thing people ask us a lot is that different children are different, and must I adapt things? And you do adapt your techniques, but you don't change the standard. The standard for obedience remains the same. The way that you get there may differ a little bit based on the personality type and the love language of your child, but the standard stays the same. So let's dive in by talking about that. We want to talk about the idea of obedience. Our goal in getting obedience is to train our children's hearts and to develop self-discipline in them. Uh, and the scriptures have a lot to say about obedience. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. In Colossians 3, obey your parents in everything, familiar with the Ten Commandments. Uh, children, obey and honor your parents. So obedience, our goal is to train our children's hearts and instill some self-discipline. But let's talk first about the standard for obedience. What is the standard to which we're training our children in obedience? Well, our standard is do it the right way, all the way, without complaining. So... Want to talk about what that means? It is. So what do we mean by doing it the right way? The right way means the first time they're told or the first time you ask them. And we, we took a parenting class years ago. They called it first time obedience. That's kind of what we called it. But we like the saying, do it right away, all the way, without complaint. So first time. And the reason for that is that you are training your children to do it at some point. If you count to three, then they're trained to do it at three. If you always give them a second chance, then they're always going to do it on the second chance, if, if they're obedient. Or they know that you've got to raise your voice, or you have to get off the couch, or whatever they know, you've trained them to know, this is when I really mean it. You can just as easily train them to know, I really mean it when I tell you. And you save yourself a lot of grief. Right. First time obedience. You're going to train your child to some standard of obedience. Well, I hope that you are. Uh, but the question is, it's really not more, any more difficult to train them to first time obedience than the third time I raise my voice obedience. What about all the way? What does that mean? All the way means 100% compliance. And what that looks like is if I ask you to take out the trash, I mean you take it outside to the trash can, you come in, you put a new liner in the bin, you do the whole job. It also means that if we're sitting at the table in a booster chair, we're not kicking the table or throwing food on the floor or any of the other things that are part of sitting there in a mannerly way at the dinner table. Yeah, with teenagers, and you, by the way, everything we're gonna talk about has its application at every age. Uh, a great one with teens, particularly with boys, is the idea of Clothes in the hamper doesn't mean clothes thrown in the direction of the hamper. And so it's easy enough to compromise on that. 
We don't compromise on the standard, and that is do it right away, do it all the way, but what about without complaint? Well, we don't expect for them to have a party and celebrate putting their laundry away or picking up their clothes off the floor or whatever it might be, but they can't stomp around and slam doors and complain about it verbally or my favorite, eye rolling. So that's what without complaint means. And we just taught our children that you're being disobedient if you're complaining about it in any way. Children are all little, uh, well, they're all little lawyers at one phase, aren't they? <laughs> well, I did what you said right away, all the way, without complaint. And that's not a standard that you're going to want to compromise on. It's a standard that you train to. You won't get that in the morning, but that is the standard that we train to. If you stop short, we're really depriving our kids of the ability to discipline themselves. And so the idea of doing it right away, all the way, without complaint, is something that we're going to ask you to really think about that. Because if you don't have a conscious standard, it's going to be very difficult to train your children. It's going to tend to lend itself to stopping wherever you think you can live with it. And I'm just going to tell you, that's not a strategy that will get you where you'd like to go with your kids. So knowing the standard of obedience is crucial. But now I know what you're thinking. You're saying, wow, if I have to have that standard of obedience with every rule I have, this is going to be a problem. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about rules for a moment. Well, you might be like we were and have about 613 rules like God had for the Israelites at your house. They felt couldn't that keep way. those either. So. Yeah, felt that way at our house too. Until I sort of realized that I needed to get the rules under control. And so we, uh, we trained our kids to three different principles and almost all of our rules fall under those principles, which meant that we taught them as they were little the specific thing we wanted done. And then as we taught them why, they started to realize that. And they, I'm sure, can tell you today what they are because I've asked them a million times, what, is the, what are we doing here? And so they are, the first one is respect for people. And that can be other people, it can also be themselves. So safety can fall under that. But it means don't hurt other people or yourself. Don't run in a restaurant or at church where you might cause someone else to fall or drop a tray of food on you. Um, the interrupt rule that we talked about last time falls in this category. Manners that we talked about is respect for other people. One of the things we tried really hard to do with our kids was to teach them to sympathize and celebrate with their siblings. That that was really important, that they shared their feelings and their life together because we wanted them to be close and we wanted them to enjoy each other. So that falls in this category. Even something as simple as taking turns with what you're playing. You know, when they would pick a game and their brothers wanted to play something else, they would take turns. That's respect for other people. So we taught that whole category through lots of different activities. This is not groundbreaking to you. You know that, you know, it's a good rule to have with my kids that you can't run through church and run into other people, etc. What's different about this, and it's going to affect you in two ways, but number one is it's grounded in a why, and it's going to cut down your rules, and it's going to give a rationale to them. Now, your two-year-old simply knows that I can't run in church or I get disciplined, I get trained to a standard, but if you keep repeating that through time, your teenagers will then understand their principles behind what I do. Because if you train to behavior, 
and they go off to college, you see the typical trained to behavior experiences. I no longer have any restraints on my behavior. But as you train to principles, then you're gonna find that they begin to get self-discipline, but also an internal compass. So this, is, this training to principles, this rules for a reason, are important uh, throughout their life. So respect for people, Laura the second is respect for property. Talk about that a minute. Well, the obvious thing is that you don't tear up toys or your house or other things like that, other people's work at school, that becomes big when they're in school. But another thing is we did not child-proof our house, we house-proofed our children. And that's not to say that everybody has to do it that way, but we found out that it was pretty easy to train them what they could touch and what they couldn't. And, you know, if you have an irreplaceable family heirloom, don't put it in the middle of your coffee table when you have a two-year-old. But I wouldn't clear the coffee table off either and turn your house into a playroom where anything is fair game because they need to learn to respect other people's property. So when they go to grandma's house, they know they can't play with the things on her table either. And they know what electrical sockets are and to stay away from them. You may choose to protect those while they're little, but the same principles will start to apply. And it sure makes your kids a lot easier to take places and enjoy taking them. If they know they can't open all your cabinet doors, they're not gonna do that somewhere else either. It makes you, you know, one of the tests of your children, by the way, is not whether or not you enjoy your children, it's whether other people enjoy your children. And this is one of the ways to make that happen. Okay, a great example of this in the teen years is our boys, one of the things they had to do is just part of living at our house was they all went through a phase of mowing our yard. And I remember one of our sons, who I won't name, but it's our oldest son, would <laughs> mow the yard and he had this habit of accidentally mowing over the water meter you know, dinging up the blade a little bit. And uh, so I think his strategy on that was, maybe I won't be mowing the yard anymore, but the <laughs> result was, we're gonna talk about respect for property. You know, this is uh, not your mower, it's my mower, and you need to be respectful of it. Again, that bringing it back to principles. Well, let's get to the third, respect for people, respect for property, and probably a huge one is respect for authority. Yes, and that's, just simply obeying teachers, referees, policemen, babysitters, anybody that is put in a place of authority over your children. They need to respect that, they need to obey it wherever they are and in whatever circumstance. So obviously you be careful who you put in authority over them, but a lot of these people are people that are there to train them as well. And so you, part of it is the hard part, and that is that if you teach your children to follow the laws, just respect for authority, you need to not speed. That was hard for me. And um, you need to respect the authority of teachers and referees. That can be hard for a lot of people too. This is, uh, this is gonna, we told you, parenting's not for cowards. Parenting is work, but it's well worth it. You are gonna have wonderful children and a wonderful relationship with them but you are gonna to have to model that. One thing we did with, children, with our children is we tried to support authority figures. If we had an issue with their teacher, we did not discuss that in front of the child. We would discuss that with the teacher because we don't wanna undermine that authority. When they see you not respecting that authority, then they're gonna feel like they don't have to respect that authority. I'm not talking of blind obedience. You can't go talk to a teacher or talk to a coach or you know, whatever it may be, but typically, 
discussing that in front of your kids is, is really not good for their respect for authority. The second thing I'd say about following the law, I know it's going to be a real problem for you to not speed. This is how you know it's effective, though. You start talking to your kids in these categories. With Our rules are based on these reasons. They are going to start saying, Dad, what's the speed limit? Well, it's 65. Dad, we're going 70. Ding, you have gotten through to them. <laughs> You're being a hypocrite, but you've gotten through to them, right? Seriously, I think you'll be surprised at how early they begin to make these connections to the rules. The other thing that happened out of this is when we did this, we found out the number of rules that we had went way down. It turned out we had a lot of rules that, honestly, as we thought about it, weren't really tied to any principled approach. They were preferences or conveniences. We realized we could reduce the number of rules we had significantly. Well, and pretty quickly with your children, I mean, I don't know, middle school, maybe the end of elementary school, you're not really talking about rules anymore. You're talking about principles. You're talking about why are we doing these things? And they are, and you're saying, don't do that. And then you ask them why. Pretty quickly, they will start telling you. So it starts to change it from we have all these don't do things to we do respect people, we do respect property, we do respect authority. It's something that we came to stand for instead of being a list of a million things we don't do. Exactly. One of the things this helps is to keep you from falling into legalism. Our children perceiving basically my worth, my, it's just a do or don't do. When you tie things to principles, you really avoid legalism because there's a reason behind it. So let me summarize the two principles before we dive into some really specific things. First of all, think about setting your standard of obedience as right away, all the way, without complaint. Let that be your standard to which you are training. And then re-examine your rules and ground them in the principles of respect for people, property, and authority. And if they don't fit that, I'd ask myself really uh, seriously, why do I have this rule? Why am I training to this standard and fighting this battle? Uh, because does it really have a principled reason to it? Those two things, I think you will find, are actually going to simplify. I know it's going to train your children better. I think it's going to make your parenting life remarkably better to follow those two principles. Well, let's jump into a couple of things. We've kind of reversed this. This may not be psychologically the best way, but we'd actually like to talk to you about things not to do. So don't do this. These are things that undermine obedience. I'm going to tell you right up front, we have done every one of these things. I have More done every once. one of these things <laughs> repeatedly. So don't get any holier than thou, but experience has taught us that these are things that will completely undermine. You're going to hear yourself and see yourself in some of these, and the reason is so that we can be aware of it and we can avoid it. So let me go to the, maybe one of the top things, and that is threatening and repeating. What's that? The threatening and repeating parent. That's the one that says... Oh, Maxwell, would you take out the trash for me, please? Maxwell, didn't I tell you to take out the trash? I mean, if you don't get up and do that right now, I'm going to have to get on to you. Maxwell, take the trash out or there is no soccer for the rest of the week. Okay, now I'm coming in there and I mean it. You take it out or there's no dinner for you. Well, you know the consequences of that. <laughs> You know, the continual threat, repeat threat, I told you to take it out. Don't make me get up. Well, I'm up. Don't make me come over there. That threatening, repeating thing is training your children. What's it training them to do? 
Little junkies playing the odds. Where's her breaking point? The consequences of that are turning them into little gamblers. You know, it's Tuesday. I'll bet I can get away till she takes the second step, you know, over here. So threatening repeating trains your children, but it's going to train them that you will continue to have to escalate the threatening repeating. Because, you know, what's, what's the game for them? Oh, two steps before she was serious last time. I'll see if I can get away with three steps this time. Your life's going to be pretty miserable with threatening and repeating. And we've all done it, and we fall into it, but that's when we want to catch ourselves and say, wait a minute, I'm not training to first-time obedience. I'm training my child to longer and longer and longer obedience. Second one, related to that a little bit, is when we say, well, I'm not doing the threatening repeating anymore. I think I'll bribe the little tot. So what about bribery? Well, that sounds like if you get ready for school on time, we will get ice cream on the way home. That's not going to teach your children to be obedient. That just teaches them to perform for a reward. Now, we're going to talk about incentives in a little bit, and there is a difference there, but bribery is basically tying obedience to a reward. And what are we training to? What's in it for me? In other words, if you want me to do this, well, you've trained me that I think I can get something. Little Donald Trump's, right? What's the art of the deal here? What, what's in it for me? The bribery is a, is a shortcut, like most of these arts, an attempted shortcut. And watch that, because bribery trains children to perform for a reward, which is not really what you'd like to train them to. Right. You'll find quickly that everything needs to have a reward. And the other thing that you need to think about is safety. So specifically with threatening and repeating, if you are in a situation, particularly with a small child, where you need them to obey you, you need them to do what you tell them, no explanation, no repeating, that's a safety situation. And you need to know that when you say something to them, they will do it. So that's a really good incentive to start this early so that you know that they will respond to you. The third one is negotiating. This happens a lot in middle school, high school, but it actually happens quite a bit with younger children, too. What's an example of negotiating behavior? Speaking of Donald Trump. <laughs> well, even the little ones do it. So we talked earlier about sitting at the table. And so I'll just use the example of you've got a child, let's say they're two, and they sit at the dinner table in a booster chair. And one night you pick them up and you put them in the booster chair and they do what two-year-olds do. They arch the back and start to scream and carry on, don't want to sit here. At that point, you get them out, you start some sort of discipline, whatever you're going to do with them, do that, put them in timeout or talk to them, and then you put them back. And at that point, you may not get the full-fledged reaction, but they're kicking the table. So you think, hmm, is this worth it? I'll take them out again. So you take them out again, you do the next set of discipline with them, you put them back. At that point, they're yelling at you. You take them out, you do it again. And you're thinking, golly, I wish this kid would sure figure this out because I'm tired of doing this and dinner's getting cold. And so you take them back to the table and at that point, the child says, I don't wanna sit in the booster seat. I wanna sit in the big girl chair. And it would be really easy to say, okay, then we can eat this food and have dinner. But if you do, then you're saying, I only need about 80% of what I ask you for. I don't really need you to fully submit to 
to what I asked you. I'm gonna let you win a little piece, and that's negotiating. If you're a teenager, it might look like I'm asking you to be home at 11, and you say, well, how about I call you when I change places, and I tell you who I'm with, and I come home at 12. And you say, hmm, no, that's the rule anyway. You're supposed to call me, and you're supposed to tell me who you're with, and I want you to be home at 11. Well, how about we meet at 11.30 in the middle? I'll come home at 11.30, and I'll follow all the rules. And now we've kind of met in the middle, and that's a good deal, right? No, it's not a good deal. What I asked you was, I want you home by 11. So at that point, you can go or you can not. But you need to do what I asked you to instead of always working to get a little bit more. At the, you can see the theme behind this is we, we're vacating our principles at that point. It's obedience right away, all the way, without complaint. I've seen some negotiating uh, in public places with kids that rivals Mideast negotiations. <laughs> I mean, it's, and you know, your kids are pretty smart. I mean, they're really clever. That's why they're trainable. Your children are very trainable because they're very smart. There's a reason that children act up in public because it improves their bargaining position, doesn't it? I've seen so many things come out of diaper bags. Okay, if I give you this, will you quit crying? Nah, sweeten the deal. Blah, you know, I'll give you something else. I'll give you something else. Those are negotiating sessions. I know it's uncomfortable, but we don't change the, uh, the goal, and that is we're training to first-time obedience, and negotiating undermines that. Go ahead. I was just going to say, God has something to say about this too. Right. God's standard for us is 100% submission. That's our hearts to him, our behavior, our lives. He expects that. We want our children to come to that when they own their faith. We expect that of them. We want this to not be a new concept. Half-heartedness is really not anything that's commendable in life in general. But, you know, really close to negotiating is another technique called reasoning and argument. There's a subtle assumption under this with your children. You'll see a lot of this with older kids, but frankly, again, uh, pretty young. What, talk about reasoning and argument, slipping into that. Well, if you find that every time you tell your child to do something, they say, why? And you explain it to them pretty quickly, you're trying to convince them. Talk them into it, make them think it's a good idea, let them see the reason why. And understanding the reason why is important. We've talked about that a lot, but it isn't a requirement for their behavior. They need to do what you asked them to, not because you convinced them it was a good idea. If you are always having to convince your children, then they're going to think they're your equals. Negotiating does the same thing too, and you're not. So they need to see that, and they need to be obedient without a reason. You're gonna teach them the reasons but you're not gonna do it as a means of getting obedience. Yeah, the, in other words, it's great to tell them why. I agree with that. It's just, it really is irrelevant whether or not they're convinced that that's a reasonable why. That's really not the issue. And so it's easy to slip into reasoning and argument. And one that's a little different is misplaced compassion. This is something that uh, Christian parents, I think, really struggle with. The idea of grace and mercy without sin and justice. This has bigger implications than you would think. Well, what's an example of misplaced compassion? Well, maybe uh, you might say to a child, well, since I know that you did not mean to hurt your sister, and you apologized to her, and you gave her kisses, then mommy is gonna have grace and forgive you too. 
well, mommy needs to have grace and forgive you no matter what because that's what we're called to. But the fact that you have done those things does not negate the fact that there are consequences to your behavior. And if this happened while you were doing something that you're not supposed to be doing or because you were being malicious, then there need to be consequences for that. Grace is not taking away all the consequences and forgiving. Grace is forgiving while there may still be consequences for behavior. Yeah, this does have long-term implications. It's really a very incomplete version of the gospel. It's really training kids in a very unhealthy way. They're gonna have a hard time understanding the real gospel at that point, the idea of repentance, of turning around. You're effectively, and you'll see it, you will see this, is effectively training your kids that it's okay to do whatever you feel like doing in the moment as long as you kind of make up for it, ask for some grace, some forgiveness. It's modeling a very incomplete a view of God. I know on the surface you think, oh, I want to show them what a loving God looks like. Then show them what a loving God looks like. Love them enough to train them to the standard of obedience. But misplaced compassion is something I think that we struggle with sometimes, is that they need to understand that they're being trained to self-discipline because there's really not much grace without self-discipline. So threatening, repeating, bribery, negotiating, reasoning, misplaced compassion, those are some of the things that we end up slipping into that really undermine the goals that we're trying to reach. Well, we have a few questions. Well, let's do a couple questions before we talk about, we have a four, more in the do category, but if you didn't see yourself somewhere there, you're not trying hard enough as a parent <laughs> because we've all been there and done that. Let's, what questions do we have? Well, we have a couple that are about how to get away from threatening and repeating. How do you get out of that rut with toddlers? Is a reward system the way to do it? And what about toddlers before they have abstract thought? Which is a good point. Toddlers are not rational. We think they are, but they're not. Teenagers are not <laughs> rational either, actually. So yet another reason why reasoning and argument aren't all that good with toddlers. You can tell them that they can't go to church without their clothes on, but they don't really get that. So anyway, um, how to move away from that. I would say you need to talk to your children. Depending on how old they are, you need to sit down and say, we don't want to continue to do this. I don't want to yell at you until I get angry. I don't think this is right. You can tell them why and what your principles are. And then you can tell them that the way that that happens is when I tell you I'm going to expect you to be obedient. And then you will have to mean it. You're going to discipline. We're going to talk about discipline next week, so I'm not trying to kick this down the road, but hold this thought for a minute because let me just frame this up for you. Threatening, repeating, if they don't do it, you will discipline at some point. And we'll talk about those techniques. We're trying to just get this into a manageable format. So after you've raised your voice, threatened twice, gotten up, walked over, and they still don't do it, you're going to do some discipline. What we're saying is don't do the threatening, repeating. Do the discipline first time, right away, all the way, without complaining. Does that make sense? You're going to discipline them for not doing what you say. Simply do it first time. Don't wait till after you've threatened, etc. So the way to get around that is begin the discipline at the standard, not six feet away from the standard. And we'll talk about the discipline technique separately, but the key is do your discipline at the beginning. Don't wait until you have to threaten or repeat. And if you're threatening or repeating and you do get compliance and you realize I'm wearing myself out. Every time I do this, we go through the threatening repeating. 
move your standard to right away, all the way, without complaint, and begin the discipline process up front. Would you agree with that? Yes, I think that's the way to do it. It's hard, but it makes it a lot easier pretty quickly once you get started with it. And it's consistent. Children thrive on consistency. They're gonna push you until they find out where is your consistency boundary. We're simply suggesting make it right away, all the way, without complaining, and we're quite consistent about that. We have a couple other questions. One of them is about rewards, and we will talk about the place for incentives and rewards next week when we talk about discipline. There is a place for that, but clearly not when it's bribery. So we'll talk about that next week. And um, then we have a question about anger and that some people learn that the way to respond when a child is disobedient is anger. And that's very common. And it is very easy to get angry with your children pretty quickly. And I would say that that's one of the real reasons to think hard about implementing this standard of obedience. It takes the anger out of it because you aren't gonna sit around until you get angry. You're not gonna wait for the child to provoke you. You're not gonna try to provoke him <laughs> into behavior. It deals, it gets rid of the anger. We want you to discipline your children in love and without anger. That is our goal. Can you always keep that from happening? No, everybody's human and there are times that you're gonna get angry at them. But you need to not discipline them in anger. You need to discipline them out of principles and out of the desire to train them. So that's, that's kind of how we dealt with anger and you're gonna deal with anger in your children that way too. Yeah, moving your standard to right away, all the way, is gonna take a lot of anger because you're, you escalate with threatening and repeating, don't we? We get angrier and our goal is, if we'll just be consistent and do this first time, it may be more work at first. They will be trained to the standard, but you'll find yourself calmer, frankly. You just won't be angry about it because you've, you've short-circuited your own anger. By the way, this is just a Terry aside. I want you to understand the difference between authoritarian parents because this sounds like, wow, we're gonna discipline, we're gonna have standards, that's authoritarian. It's actually not. Authoritarian is disciplining children because of my reasons. I'm angry, I don't like it, that's authoritarian. Being consistent discipline to instill self-discipline, to train your children is not authoritarian, that's loving them. So anger leads to authoritarian parenting and being just a little more consistent is gonna take that out of it. You'll find that your temperature goes way down in this. Yeah. Can we move to the do's? Or do we have another question? Well, we have two different questions that are kind of the same thing, and they are, what do you do when the two parents have different methods of discipline? And I would just say that the best you can do to get on the same page, the easier life will be for everybody in your house. I think that's something your children need to know, that we agree on this, and we agree what the standards are, we, we agree on the rules, and most of all, we agree that you need to respect the authority of your other parent, too. Love your children enough to present a united front, even if it's not all your way. It's gonna make a huge difference. That's exactly right. Well, let's talk about some do's. Here are things that, that we think you wanna put in your arsenal to do. And the first is, these are training hearts for obedience, is having high expectations. Well, if you expect little, you'll get little. They'll live right up to that. And that is not how you wanna raise your children. So the easiest way for your kids is to, to train them to obey you right away. It's a high standard, 
but it ultimately is easier for everybody involved. We think that we can't do that sometimes. We think, I can't do that, there's just no way. And I would say there are examples in your life already where you've done that, you just don't think about it. And one of them for most of us is car seats. All our kids go in car seats because it's the law, because it's the only way they're safe. And your kids get in a car seat and are buckled in and ride that way because they have to. And they do it, you do it every time, all the time. You may still struggle with it, and if you are, that may be something you need to work on. But it's generally something we all agree on. We're gonna do it all the time. Yeah, and let me add to that on the teenage side. Sometimes you've seen, I've seen this, you probably have too, not necessarily a teen, but when your children play on a sports team, they end up doing things that, wow, that's amazing. Look at from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, you're a disciplined football player or soccer player or cheerleader or whatever. Look what you've done. My point is, it's possible to train your children to high standards. The difference is, are we going to do it or not? But it's amazing when you see what your children can do. That should be a sign to you, wait a minute, if you can do that for a football coach, you can be trained to this standard as well. If you're driving down the street and your child is out of the car seat, you'll probably pull over as many times as it takes to put them in that car seat because it's not safe. Why don't you parent the rest of the way that way? You will get the same results. So high expectations to the standard, it really will work. Here's one that I think requires a little wisdom. Talk to us about choosing your battles wisely and win them. Well, you have to be careful that you say what you mean and mean what you say. There are things you cannot enforce. You need to be careful about those things. You cannot make your children sleep. You cannot make them eat, but you can train them to stay in their beds and you can train them to sit at the table and you can not give them any more food till the next meal. Those are things you can do. So make sure when you are disciplining your kids and when you're deciding what you want to tell them to do, that you've thought that through. That's key for me. I get, this was a tough one for me because I just need your do this. And then I'd realize, oops, if they're really willful, I can't actually enforce that. So now we have a showdown of wills that ultimately I will lose because I cannot enforce it. And so you need to think just a little bit about requiring things that, we, that you actually can enforce. And don't threaten things you can't do either or don't intend to do, like not give them dinner for a week or whatever might come to your mind when you're really unhappy with them at the moment. So. And the other thing is when you get into a battle of wills, you must win. You must win. And I don't mean that in any harsh way. I simply mean when you are in, stay committed. Because if, they, if their endurance is greater than your endurance, what have I just trained them? If you're tough enough, you can get your way. That's a disaster. So don't have very many hills that you're willing to die on. Choose your battles wisely and then win those battles. You will be surprised at how quickly children realize, well, when they say it, they apparently mean it. It doesn't take very long. But as soon as you start losing a few battles, they go, oh, I think this war may be winnable. And welcome to another year or two of training. So choose your battles wisely and make sure you win them. If you're wrong, just say you're wrong. But 
choose them wisely, win the battles. Some children are easier to train than others. Mm -hmm. So some of you are wondering why we're talking about this because it seems pretty simple to you. You just tell them and they do it. And God bless you, you have a compliant child. And I, I pray that- You think you're a great parent. You have a compliant child. You do. And I pray that every family gets one. But if you have a child of moderate will or particularly if you have one of a very strong will, your will needs to be stronger. And we have, we have at least one very strong-willed child, and he's even told me, I know, I used to think, when will she back down and, I will lo- and she will lose and I will win? That's so, scary. Yeah. So, if they're thinking that, you better win. Two-year-olds and teenagers are pros at this. They live for this. They're there to challenge you. They want to test the boundaries and firm boundaries give them security. They don't like it, but they do need it, and they like the security that it brings in their lives. It speaks love to them, and I know you're gonna say with a teenager, I can't see it, it's there. Youth groups are full of kids who, when they're not with their parents, express this idea. I don't feel love for my parents because I don't have any rules that they stick to. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that from kids. Whether you see it or not, those boundaries speak love to them, and it is. You're not having a battle of wills because you want to dominate your children. You're having a battle of wills because it's necessary for them. You love them enough to train them. I'm gonna give you one of my favorites. I'm gonna have to just fess up on this. Avoid exasperating your children. Colossians 3.21 goes on, it says, children obey your parents, then it says, fathers, don't exasperate your children and don't discourage them. And give you a great example of this. I remember there was a phase in my life when the kids were relatively young. They weren't toddlers, but they were relatively young. I'd come home from work. What do the kids want to do? They want to be with you. What do I want to do? I don't want to be with kids. Right? I want to sit down. I want to watch the news. I want to read the paper. And they'd, so they'd play with me. They want to be with you. That's kind of a love language, right? So they're here playing around. And I found myself getting into this habit of just barking out random commands. Quit playing with that truck. Stop that toy, it's making too much noise. Take that in the other room. Pick up those toys. Just completely random commands that were completely exasperated. Are any of those commands rooted in a principle, those rules? No, they're convenience commands to me. You know what that did to my children? It exasperated them. I mean, that's what the Bible's talking about. It's like, well, what are you teaching me, Dad? Uh, Tuesday evenings, don't, you can't do this. On Saturday mornings, you can And so I found myself falling into that pattern and caught myself. There was this voice in my ear, it it kind of sounded like you, saying, (laughs) dear, do you see what's happening? We help, you have to help each other. Do you see the pattern? And I go, you're right, it is. It's because I simply lacked the energy to go do what my kids needed. And I was exasperating them by these really random rules. We all do that because we get tired and we get stressed and we particularly under those circumstances do that. So try not to provoke your kids unnecessarily. Obedience is kind of exasperating anyway. So you don't want to make it any more than it needs to be. So avoid moodiness, being arbitrary, inconsistent, all of those kinds of things. The other thing is when you realize that all you're saying is no, it seems like you are saying no all day long, Stop and consider why. Maybe you need to be, but maybe 
you're not saying no on principle. Maybe you're saying no on convenience or preferences. And at that point, you probably need to reevaluate and try to say yes as much as possible. But what about saying when you do need to say no, there are better ways to say some of these things. What are some examples of that? Well, it's good to try to be positive when you're telling kids what you want from them. So with little children, when you're talking about not running inside, just tell them to use their walking feet. Tell them to use their inside voices instead of yelling at them to stop screaming. And it's also helpful, everybody's voice gets louder and louder and louder, if you can very calmly and quietly say to them, let's remember to use our inside voice, they will be quiet to listen to you, and then all the voices will come down. They'll probably go back up again in a few minutes and you'll have to do it again. But it's a way to get their attention and, and kind of show them we're gonna use our inside voices. Be positive in the direction that you give them. One other thing I'd say about exasperating your kids, it's obviously training them to a random standard. That is not helpful to us. The other thing is that kind of thing takes, makes really drains your children's love tank, if that makes any sense to you. It's taking withdrawals out. And that's why, and you're gonna do a little of this, none of us are perfect parents, but avoiding that, you just don't drain their tank for no purpose whatsoever. And that's why it's important. Keep your kids' love tanks full. I know we're talking about a lot of discipline things because that's what we're here to talk about, but make sure you keep their love tanks full. When you have the chance to commend them, do it. I, we all fall into, I feel like I'm always correcting my children. You may need to be. Ask yourself, am I doing it in a principled way? If the answer is yes, keep doing it. But also look for opportunities to show them love, to approve them. We don't want to make them praise junkies, but make those, put those uh, deposits in their love bank as well. And exasperation is one of those things that drains the love tank really quickly. Okay, we're about to hit one of my pet peeves. I read a lot of blogs that uh, people... Uh, or raising toddlers put out there, and I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to get on my soapbox, but this idea that if you will just give your kids choices and everything, you don't have to fight with them. I want to talk to you about using your choices wisely. Talk about that. What do we mean by that? Well, you can manipulate the circumstances in your house so that they don't actually have to obey you. You sort of move them into it, and you can relax your standards. So if as we were talking about earlier, you have a child, a small child who needs to sit in a chair and eat dinner and they don't want to sit in the chair, it's a lot easier to just say, okay, you don't have to sit and let them walk around while they eat. But that's probably not ultimately going to teach them obedience or table manners or any of the other things that you're trying to teach them. It's just going to teach them that we can change the circumstances so that I have a choice to do something else. Another way that choices get used is um, because I don't want to have to put up with the tantrum or the disobedience that I know is going to follow when I tell you to do something. So instead of telling you, I'm going to give you choices. And then we won't have the tantrum. But you've pretty quickly taught the child that as long as they have a tantrum, you'll give them a choice they like instead of something that they might not be so happy to do. So I would just say, be really careful about choices in those circumstances. Don't give them choices when you want them to be obedient. Don't say, would you like to get dressed, unless it's perfectly okay if they don't. If you want them to get dressed, don't ask them about it. Tell them. So be careful. Use choices carefully, wisely. 
I think that, especially with little children, you just don't give them a lot of choices until obedience is established. If you have a child that continuously bucks you and rears back every time you ask them to do something, that is not a child you want to give a lot of choices to until you start to get some compliance. Yeah, I, you, this is one of those great things of how do, you, how do you create Frankenstein's monster? This is how you do it is give your kids choices to avoid conflict. It's like, look, it's too hard to train you, so I'll tell you what, it's all on you. You choose. You get these two choices, but you always get a choice. That is probably going to make your life easier in the short run when they're toddlers. You are going to have a nightmare when you get to middle school and high school because you haven't trained them to self self-discipline. So let me summarize it. You made two great statements. Number one, do not give choices when you actually want obedience. It's okay to give choices. You want the red shirt or the blue shirt today. If, if you really don't care, why have a rule? Although it's good to establish obedience. So, but don't give choices when you really want obedience. And secondly, don't give choices to avoid conflict. That's called cowardly parenting. Parenting is not for cowards. Do not give choices to avoid conflict. Here's one of my favorites, though, and that is help your kids succeed. You may or may not have thought about this, but this was an epiphany to me when you started doing it, and I realized we can actually help our children succeed. What are some examples of that? Well, one of the things we did in our house was I tried to always give the kids a warning, not for behavior, but if, we, if I knew we were going to leave to go to soccer practice in five minutes and they were off doing homework or reading books or playing with toys, building Legos, whatever they were doing at whatever age, if I would come and say, we're going to leave here in five minutes, so be ready. That gave them time to finish up what they were doing, come to a stopping place, get their minds ready, so that when it was time to go, we actually went. That five-minute warning was, it was amazing what it did, and I realized we can help them by helping to give them that transition time. Even for little kids, a five-minute warning, it's not miraculous, but it was amazing how much easier it made them to comply when we said it's time to go. Dads, what do I do? I walk in. I don't care what you're in the middle of. Get your shoes on. We're in the car right now. I'm actually making it more difficult than I need. I want to train to obedience, but giving a five-minute warning made it so much easier for the young kids to do that. That was amazing to me. What else, though? There are, some, there are all kinds of examples of this. Well, it helps to go over expectations before you arrive somewhere. So if you have little children in the car with you and you're going somewhere like the mall, and when we get there, I'm going to need you to get out of the car and hold my hand until we get inside. It's a good thing to tell them that on the way there. This is what's going to happen when we get there, and you're going to need to hold my hand. Then they'll be a lot better prepared for that. Or to remind them, we're going out to dinner in a restaurant, and how do we behave in restaurants? We use our walking feet and our inside voices and our best table manners. And as they get a little bit older, you can throw it at them and say, we're going to a restaurant. How are we going to behave in the restaurant? And they will start to answer you. And the more of that they do, the better they're learning what you have in mind and the more likely they are to do it when you get there. It works for older kids too. This is something that I really recommend to your middle school and teenagers or high school kids is, I call this rehearsing personally, but rehearse some situations. Temptation is another thing that's difficult, whether it's high school kids who end up at a party and all of a sudden somebody breaks out alcohol. In the moment, peer pressure wins if they haven't thought about it beforehand. Typically, peer pressure wins if you're 
put on the pressure in the moment. We like to rehearse things when the time was right and say, what, let's talk about what you would do if you were in this situation. What will you do if you're in a car and somebody's got alcohol in the car? I keep picking on that, but it's a, it's a real danger. Talking through that with your kids beforehand helps prepare them so that in the moment, they're better able to make it. So whether they're toddlers or teenagers, this idea of rehearsing is really powerful. There's also some things you can do to help your kids escape temptation, which is what you're talking about with teenagers. And it works with little kids. I had one that had a very hard time not touching things wherever we went. He just wanted to touch everything. And we found pretty quickly that I could just say to him, put your hands in your pockets when you feel the need to touch something. So he would put his hands in his pockets and he kept them there a lot because it was a way to keep himself out of trouble. I've never seen him with his hands out of his pockets. <laughs> I, I don't know. But it was just a way for him to teach him how to manage the temptation that we knew was going to come. That was inevitable if we went into a store, that that was going to be a problem for him. So it was just a little prompt and a way to teach him. And there's all kinds of things like that you can do for your kids. Obviously, there's the, the examples for teenagers are easy to come up with, but there are lots of examples for little kids too. You know, if you know they're going to fall into temptation where they're going, talk to them about it ahead of time and help them by giving them a way to, to bear up under it, a way of escape. And then final thing on this, my favorite rule of all is the target rule. Oh, don't go to target at nap time. It's just a bad idea. It never, ever works out well for anyone. Couple more. Teach and use effective communication skills. This one's pretty straightforward, but... Teach your children to make eye contact with you when you are giving them instruction or discipline. Because if they're making eye contact with you, you're about halfway through the battle. You know they're hearing you, and you know that they are processing what you're saying. I think this works with husbands, too, the <laughs> eye contact. Thing. It probably works with everybody. Yeah, I think it probably does. So teach them that, and then teach your children to respond when you speak to them. Whatever it is, if you say, we're going to have dinner in five minutes, teach them to answer you, yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. They've heard you. That way you know they've heard you, and you are teaching them to tune you in instead of tuning you out, which there are lots of things that do that. That's great. So let me summarize this before I get to the last one. Having high expectations, your children will perform to your expectations. They can achieve these standards. Choose your battles wisely and the ones you choose, win them for their sake. Avoid exasperating your children. Use your choices wisely. Help your kids succeed. Teach and use effective communication skills. And I want to give you the last do this. And, and I, I hope that half of you don't get up and leave because this is going to be really hard but I need you to trust me on this one. Turn off your television. Before you gasp and go, can't live without our television. You really can. Talk for just a moment about this radical idea and what a difference it made for us. Well, I love television. I like to have it on all the time. I really like background noise. And that was kind of the way it always was at our house. And it was suggested by a friend that if we would turn the TV off, it would really change our lives. So I thought, well, all right, I'll give it a try. I'll do it for a week. If it doesn't make any difference, I'll turn it back on. I wasn't all that excited about it. Now, this was a while back, and our TV was in a cabinet. The cabinet had doors. 
I don't think those doors had ever been closed before that time. So it was easy in that circumstance to just close the doors. It's a little more complicated now. There's iPads and there's TVs everywhere. Turn them off. Do it for a week. Don't turn them back on for periodic things. Just turn it off and leave it off. It was deafening silence the first day we did it. But I quickly discovered that it changed the whole atmosphere of our house. We had more peace. We had way less arguing. We had a lot less yelling. I think they were yelling over the television. We, uh, depending on what they were watching, their attitudes were significantly improved. It really, it was amazing difference. Children became more obedient and they were a lot more interested in all the things I wanted them to be doing, like playing outside, playing with their siblings, reading books, doing homework, all of those things became a lot easier and were things they actually looked forward to doing because they didn't have the television as an option. One of the things I realized, I'm gonna give you the dad's view, I'm not stereotyping, but for us, you know, I would come home at the end of the day and there was a limited window of family time. And so there were two, maybe three hours that we spent together. The time in front of the TV, I just really didn't think about it. We were watching the game together or we were doing something, maybe together, maybe not. But even if we were together, when we turned that off, I realized we played games instead. We talked to each other. It was night and day like, this is quality time. And I never realized I was missing that with the television. So I know this is going to sound a little uh, extreme to you, but... If, it is amazing the difference that it made in our kids' lives, particularly when they were young and particularly during school uh, time, is that I remember at one point we had modified it to we did not watch television Monday through Thursday nights. We would watch, as usual, screened or selected programming on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Even that made an unbelievable difference in our family. The qualitative aspect was, it was amazing to me. Well, and I kind of think if you didn't already think we were nuts, you probably do now. But um, we had, even way back when, we had TVs in the car, but we stopped using them except on vacation. And it was really, like you said, that became some of the best time we had with our kids. It was great quality time. At that point, they're strapped in. They're pretty much paying attention to you or somebody in the car. And we did a lot of neat things in the car because we didn't have that going on. So, something to think about. Some of the best, if you ask our children, they'll talk about some of the best spiritual training that they had was in the car. They're captive audience. You can tell stories, there's no limit to what you can do. You can pray together. I know you prayed with our kids every morning on the way to school. You can tell Bible stories. It's amazing the things you do that actually will grow you closer together. Using the electronic babysitter simply doesn't really move you forward. So we really want to recommend that to you. Well, Laura, we're almost out of time, and we do have a homework assignment. But before we do that, are there any questions? Probably have time for a couple of questions before we get into it. Well, we have lots of questions, and as I look at them, I think most of them have to do with discipline. So I will look through these and make sure that we kind of try our best to hit your concerns. There are a couple that I do want to go ahead and answer. One of them is, is the standard of obedience right way or right away? And it's right away. It's as soon as I tell you the first time, or you can call it first time obedience, mm -hmm. but right away. And the other one is, um, what if 
oh, I think we talked about that, parents aren't consistent or you have a step-parents. And at that point, you only have control over your house. So Exercise the influence you have. God will bless it. You, just, you need to trust God in that. I understand there are uh, two-parent homes and other things, but train when and where and how you can, and you'll be surprised how God blesses that. Well, and I think that's something that I was so thankful for is that we talked about and you always said, and I believed we did our best and God made up the difference. That's right. So. God, I think God expects us, as you say, train up a child in the way he should go. God expects us to work at the parenting to steward these gifts. Our children are gifts to us. I know they don't always seem like that to you, but our children are gifts and training them is, is what God expects of us. And then trust God to make up our difference. Well, I want you to keep working on the things from last time. Keep working on the interrupt rule. Consistency is your friend. Keep working on establishing that couple time. This week, you'll begin to discuss some things, and here's one of them. Here's your assignment for this week, putting it into practice. Identify the traps you're most likely to fall into that teach disobedience. Talk about that. You know what? I think we do a lot of threatening and repeating. What what do we want to get together on and, and maybe stop that? Have, part of the reason this class is for you to have good discussion about those things. So identify the traps you're most likely to fall into. Second one is simplify the rules in your house. If you're going to train to obedience, don't have more rules than you need to have. Think through those principles, and I think you'll find yourself trimming, actually trimming down the rules. They'll just be more purposeful rules. Third, Give five-minute warnings. Discuss expectations ahead of time. I think you'll find this alone being huge. If you have middle schoolers and high schools, start putting high schoolers start putting this into practice for life situations, and you may not be there. If you have younger children, do some of the things that Laura said. Start doing the five-minute warnings and discussing your expectations, and then try to turn your TV off for a week. I'll tell you what. Money-back guarantee. Next week, if you get here and you say, no, Terry, it just it made no difference. I will refund your money. I'll double. I'll give you double your money back on that. I have two testimonials that have come in on the text message. On the television? And say, this works. So it's so not just can us. I just, for a moment, I don't want to embarrass you, but if you send in a <laughs> testimonial, you've tried it and it worked, raise your hand. Okay. Okay. We Talk to them. Let's testify on this, right? Seriously, try this and see if it doesn't make an, a really pretty profound difference. And then customize it to what you want. But basically, give this a try. Now, we didn't put on here that first-time obedience was something we wanted you to run home and do, although we think it's important. We're going to talk about discipline next time, and I think a lot of you feel like you're not prepared to do that. So we will talk about discipline next time, and we're also going to talk about spiritual training. Exactly. Well, let me encourage you by saying this. What I started with is work on this. Consistency is your friend. It will make a difference. Trust that. It will make a difference over time. I don't want you to look at this and go, wow, we're just not doing any of this right. That's not the point of this. You're good parents. Be better, purposeful parents. Keep working at it. You can do this, and it will really make a huge difference. Let me say a prayer for us, and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the interest that these parents have in their children, to train them up, 
to love you, to follow Jesus Christ, that they care enough about their kids to put their own interests and their own convenience aside at times to invest in these gifts that you've given to us. We thank you for our children, and I pray that you would strengthen everyone here. Give them courage, give them strength, give them endurance, help them to encourage one another, band together and help each other. Because Father, we trust that you will bless these efforts and that you will bless our children. In Christ's name. Next week, discipline techniques, how to make your life better immediately, and how to solve the tantrum problem. We'll see you then.